Action Fanatics, welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. I am your host, Chris the Brain, and joining me once again, Chad Cruz. And Chad, this is episode 13, Are You a Superstitious Man? I am not. Uh, I also didn't know it was episode 13. I stopped counting at 10, because that's how many fingers I have. Makes sense. Uh, You know, I'm not really a superstitious man, but Given all the issues we've had with episode 13, uh, I started to kind of become a little superstitious. Yeah, that was wondering. Sense. I was wondering if we'd ever get to this uh, moment in time. We're on like plan E, I think. Uh, but here we are, and we're going to get it done and helping us to get this one done. He's back. Ryan Campbell, welcome back to the Bulletproof Podcast. That's right. Just call me Plan E. That's That's my nickname. <laughs> And I want to uh, give some feedback on our last episode, which would be, of course, episode 12, for those of you who can count past 10. Uh, and that was our hip-hop action. And I have a, a bit of feedback, personal feedback, on that episode. Um, and I'm going to direct it to you, Chad Cruz. Because of you, I think at least every other day now, I'm listening to the uh, Wild Wild West song uh, with Will Smith and Cisco and You're Drew welcome. Hill and Cool Mo D. And then watching the video and Carlton's in it, I popped. I'm like, I, I forgot he was in there. I, I don't, but yeah, he's in there. So, don't you miss when every Will Smith action movie came with like the rap, the huge rap song music video? Like that was, we should do that more often. Where, where, why'd that stop happening? It's a big multimedia thing, you know, where you, if you can sing and dance and act, like why wouldn't you put it all in the same film? I think it's just after he did Men in Black, none of them ever quite lived up to that. And then he was like, eh, I'm giving up. It's it's hard to uh, do like a, a hip hop song in a dance video about a movie with NFL concussions as the main subject matter. It's like, oh, CTE, what up? Or After after Earth. Yeah, why didn't that? Yeah. <laughs> why didn't that have an awful rap music video with it? But yeah, that, that's my feedback for hip hop action. And, uh, of course, that one is available in the archives along with all of our past episodes, and we encourage you to check those out if you have not already, or just check them out again. We, we don't mind. You could listen to these things 14 times a day if you want. Yeah, why not? Yeah, what do you just, just play them and then put the headphones down. Yeah, you're not going anywhere anyways, right? All right, guys. Well, let's get in to this episode subject, which is the Sylvester Stallone classic 1982's First Blood. And Chad, I know you did some research on this one for the site. And why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the problems this one had even becoming a movie. It was a book 10 years prior and, and it was kind of stuck, stuck in development. Yeah. Talk about, uh, you know, if you're su- superstitious, if anyone has an opportunity or a right to be superstitious, it should be David Morrell who wrote the novel in 1972, I believe, which uh, you look at them on the, years that the film finally came out in 1982 so it was a decade later and from the moment he wrote the novel it was immediately sold as a script um so the the film kind of went through this 10-year process where i believe the script had been written in, in the 20s it was like 26 times or something like that until uh finally sylvester stallone got a hold of it and there were so many actors that were offered the the lead role there were so many directors that were offered to direct the film and every single one of them backed out for various reasons. And then I, I think it was kind of a uh, a blessing, I guess, that Stallone got the offer and he accepted so fast um, because once they went into production, he almost instantly regretted it. So, yeah, he finally he finally gets to it. They finally are going to make this, this movie about John Rambo. And uh, the movie opens up. Rambo uh, goes to Hope. Oregon, I believe, isn't it? Or is it Washington? Um, well, he mentions he's going to Portland. He's heading to Portland, which is Oregon. So I don't know. It's uh, Pacific Northwest. Let's just. Absolutely. It is in the Pacific Northwest. He's looking up an old army buddy. Um, and he unfortunately finds out that his, his friend had passed away due to Agent Orange and, and the cancer that it caused. Um, so the, now he's kind of stuck here in this town. He wants to to get something to eat and he runs into the town sheriff sheriff teasel who is played by the one and only brian dennehy who we just recently lost um 
you know, maybe take a few moments to talk about uh, some of our favorite Brian Dennehy films other than First Blood. I know you have one, Chad, that you absolutely love. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my favorite Brian Dennehy movie, and I mentioned it on social media, was a, it's a film from the early 90s called Gladiator, uh, which doesn't star Russell, Russell Crowe. It stars Cuba Gooding Jr. and James Marshall, uh, along with Brian Dennehy. And uh, I've always claimed it's one of the best boxing movies that most people have never heard of. So if, if you love early 90s action and uh, some hip hop music in the background, it's got a great soundtrack. It's got young guys like Cuba Gooding and James Marshall kind of in uh, in the films that should have made them massive stars. You know, Cuba's would take a little longer, I think, but James Marshall's never really happened. And then it's got Brian Dennehy in, in a role that is villainous and it just like it works so well. And don't forget Robert Loja's in that one. And, and uh, the Home Alone Dad. Everything better. Home Alone Dad. And I wrote uh, an article that I, I bring up a lot. It's a, uh, um, a a film that references Gladiator as a sequel to the first two Home Alone movies. You should check it out. That's Ooh. on, of course, bulletproofaction.com. Unofficial sequels, yes. Yeah, and I'm, I want to just go on record and say that is, in my opinion, the superior Gladiator movie. Just, Just saying. Bold, bold, bold chance. The movies I always remember uh, Brian Dennehy from are the two FX films he did with Brian Brown, which, you know, fun movies, um, definitely uh, unique movies in the action genre. Yeah, that's how I was going to describe describe them as unique. And uh, I don't know, Brian Dennehy never felt like, maybe it's because I didn't see enough Brian Dennehy movies um, when I was younger, but he never felt like a leading man to me. So anytime I saw him in like a leading role, it always felt a little odd to me. Yeah, more of a more of a character actor for sure. Uh, Ryan Campbell, any uh, Brian Dennehy uh, favorites, or or was he before your time? Uh, definitely before my time. I definitely cut uh, a lot of it later. Um, some of his work, and after the point to where I already had a kind of Wilford Brimley almost image in, of of him in my head because I think he'd been the butt of some Simpsons bits and things like that so by the time i started going back and watching some of his movies and kind of you know getting rid of that old man kind of image that had been you know seen um it was kind of cool to see him like oh do some like straight up action uh which first blood is just kind of breaks all my preconceived notions because at that point you know growing up in the 90s long before i'd ever watched any of the movies i kind of knew who rambo was but it was based more on the sequels with you know the the cut off sleeves and like the bandana and just like balls to the wall action star. So to go back and watch first blood and see how it's kind of a more, you know, nuanced, almost like an attempt at like a drama almost action and tries to actually make some statements about some things uh, was definitely like the first time I watched him. Like I was not expecting this. Yeah. Uh, the first blood is kind of like the first death wish where you yeah, know, death wish was, was was, was was more of a drama. I mean, it obviously had action and violence involved, but it was yeah, it was it was putting a spotlight on on urban crime and the problems in big cities like New York. Where then, as the sequels went on, they just became pure action movies. And I think that that kind of brings up some of the differences as well with the novel and with the film. Is you know Stallone got his hands on the script um, and changed a lot of it. Um, Brian Dennehy plays Sheriff Teasel. He was he was police chief of police in the in the book. Rambo never actually has a first name. I don't think in the book. I think he's just Rambo. I don't think he's ever John. Um, and the character of Rambo is he's like this young brash. He's like he's he's an asshole. He's a douche. Like he's not a likable character at all. Like you're not really empathetic with him. You're not sympathetic with him, especially when he starts killing people. Um, so I, I think that Stallone had a huge. Like when he got a hold of it, it it shifted from this story about um, a young kind of poisonous character who comes into town, going up against this like a, a more of an old school sheriff or an old school chief of police, to what we see in the film, which is like a character that we can kind of get behind and root for, while also saying, okay, this guy also needs help. Yeah, and I think this you know First Blood really shows us how different things are today as opposed to back after the Vietnam War and, and the way veterans are treated uh, to some degree, at least. I mean, there's there's still certainly 
uh, room for improvement. Uh, but you know, Vietnam veterans were not were not heroes, and were not uh, thanked for their service, and and were not uh, you know didn't get freebies on Veterans Day. They, they I mean, Rambo couldn't even stop and, and get something to eat in right. this town, and and Teasel was trying to run him out. Um, so just very interesting uh, just to look at it from that perspective. It was, uh, and it's something I do whenever I watch these movies is try to see how they hold up and, and kind of like, especially when they're trying to make a statement about something, how that works. And I found myself kind of in both ways. So definitely the way that we treat military personnel um, and the greater mindset in the public, like you said, brain, sure, we could, we could do a better job of supporting them, you know, logistically, but the, uh, the overall hero mindset, the way they're treated, the way people stand up at sporting events and salute them has completely changed. But what, what it kind of hasn't is the way a lot of people view uh, police. So whether, whether you which way you stand on, you know, over, over exertion from police and police brutality, but like some of the kind of police state and the militar, militarization of police forces and people's distrust with the police, that all kind of does play in to this kind of, you know, rogue sheriff who, you know, is just the, away with the rules and only cares about what does, whatever it'll do to do his town. So it, it both kind of doesn't match up now some days, but in some ways it does. Right. And you remember this, the novel was written in uh, still during the Vietnam war. So you're talking 1972, the war is kind of coming towards the end there. And um, the film was made 10 years later after the war was over with and, People have kind of gone through that grief stage a little bit and you, you know, the, the script falls into the hands of Stallone who has certainly made a career off of being, you know, like this, out this Patriot, you know what I mean? Like most of his movies have a very uh, pro America stance. Yeah. I mean, it, and it was, but this was really a departure too. I remember at the time when it came out, I did not see it right away because obviously I was a, but too young to be seeing a movie like this at the time. But, you know, I think people were expecting more of the Rambo that they got in the sequels. Um, we're here. Yeah. He, you know, he's very, he's a broken man and uh, you know, he's not this superhero. He ends up, you know, kind of getting into the superhero mode, but it's because he's forced to, and uh, kind of going back to what I was saying, you know, he's forced to because of the police and the way they treat him. So uh, he doesn't want to leave town, so uh, Teasel he takes him in, and we get some bad things for Rambo there. Some uh, some Vietnam flashbacks for sure, as he's uh, booked. And uh, well, you take it from here, Chad. Yeah, the, the, we have to kind of call some of these methods into question as far as the way the uh, the the sheriff department hope works. They they take him in. Uh, I can't even remember what they charged him with. Do you remember what Vag- that was? Brian? Vagrancy, vagrancy and uh, resisting arrest, I believe. That's perfect. Yeah, vagrancy and resisting arrest. So, because uh, everyone wants to be arrested, right? So he's a vagrant <laughs> and he's resisting arrest because he's hungry. So they take him in. They, they tie him down. They uh, they basically strip his clothes off. They sh- spray him with a fire hose. Uh, it's not just like a garden hose to get him wet. <laughs> they they spray him with a legit fire hose. And then eventually, after they've kind of beaten on him a bit, um, they attempt to cut his hair and shave him, um, which is kind of the last straw for him. Because, you know, all this time we're having these flashbacks of of Rambo in a POW camp in Vietnam just being tortured. You know what I mean? So Right. And when they get... When they get his clothes off, you see, like, his back and and just the you know, the scars and the damage that was done when he was a POW. Yeah. We have, we have a young CSI Miami who is just uh, <laughs> shocked at, at the scars and he kind of plays almost a, uh, um, Oh gosh. What was the, I've ever forgotten. And, and uh, no holes barred the, uh, the, the brother. Oh, yeah, Randy. Yeah. He kind of plays a Randy role where he's just like, Oh man. Oh my gosh, man. You see that man? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Young David Caruso. David yeah, Caruso. He's, he's like the newbie. And they said that uh, the fire hose was so powerful that it, it actually blew the scars off of his back when they sprayed him the first time. Ooh, a little bit behind the scenes. Yeah, Chad Cruz, he did his research on this one. Um, so, yeah, like you said, they try to shave him, and that's where he kind of snaps. And then next thing you know, 
he's on a motorcycle and he's out of there. Yeah, he beats the living shit out of these guys, escapes. The, he does like the, the reverse Terminator. And instead of going into the jailhouse and killing everybody, he escapes the jailhouse without killing anyone. Right. Gets gets on the motorcycle and then goes out into the into the Pacific Northwest, into the wilderness. And that's when uh, business really picks up here, uh, because then we get a good old fashioned manhunt. But you quickly find out that the people, the hunters are really the hunted. Yeah, it's pretty cool to, to get the um, the reverse uh, predator idea of man pushed too far. And now the hunters become the hunted. But um He's really, and at this point, they don't. I don't believe they even know he's a Green Beret. They don't know any of his backstory at this point yet, other than they obviously think he's military from his dog tags. But uh, yeah, they at this point they've uh, they've they've messed with the wrong man, so to say. It's like the you know the old you know if you back an, uh, a wounded animal into a corner, like they'll fight even harder. So that's kind of you know, in, in a simple way of saying it, that's what happens is he gets backed into a corner. He doesn't know where he's going. He hops on a dirt bike and heads off into the middle of the wilderness. Uh, you know, he's not prepared to fight. He's not planning the fight, but he kind of falls back on like years of training, years of, you know, being in the shit and like surviving. So you kind of see John Rambo uh, foundationally like, all right, this is what he is now. When, when, you know, power's out, lights are out and nothing else works. Like this guy's just a cold blooded killer. Yeah. And they bring out the dogs. They got a helicopter. I mean, they're pulling out all the stops. Uh, they even bring in the National Guard at one point, and uh, those guys are getting a little bit more than they bargained for when they they uh, face off with Rambo. Sadly, none of which is actually owned by the Sheriff's Department. It's just Brian Dennehy calling in every villager that has a dog or the dude that has a helicopter. And I think I hear this guy's got a rocket launcher. I don't know. He's, just, he's calling all kinds of favors. And everyone was so excited to come out there until they finally had to uh... – you know, get face to face with Rambo. Right. I mean, and I think that it kind of goes into where, where, you know, Teasel didn't, where, where his issues with Rambo lie because he's so used to getting his way. Like he snaps his fingers and these people come. I mean, he's been the, the power source at, at this, in this little town forever. And, and even the littlest bit of a rebellion against him. And he kind of, you know, bows up and, and, and goes all alpha male on uh, probably the ultimate alpha male, uh, John Rambo. Yeah, and there's a there's a it's a strong um, story point that's in the in the novel is the strategic difference between this Green Beret who fought in Vietnam War and uh, Chief or not Chief Sheriff Teasel who was a Korean War vet and at one point later in the movie we see all these awards that are behind Teasel's desk so it, it alludes to the fact that he was in the Korean War but it, without actually like saying it. I was going to ask that. That was on my list here. And I was going to ask if in the book they make that clear because I noticed that he's got a purple heart and he's got like three yeah. other medals behind him at his desk when he thinks Rambo's dead at that point. And I'm, and he even tells uh, the the colonel, um, you know, not everybody or that came back from war ended up that messed up. So I was wondering if, if yep. he also was a, was a veteran and they never really dived super into it, but I picked up on that subtle uh, clue and I was wondering if that was in the book so thank you Chad and it's very like they harp on it a lot in the book it's and, and actually a lot of the chapters in the book they they bounce from you know you know chapter six might be from the perspective of, of Rambo chapter seven is from Teasel so you you really get into the character a lot more and he's he you know the Korean War is the forgotten war and and you know these guys came back and they just kind of melted right back into normal life uh, but you know Vietnam the fighting against Viet Cong and like guerrilla warfare. Uh, and now you've got Rambo doing the same thing. He's like digging tunnels and like booby traps and shit like that. Whereas Teasel straight ahead, manpower, bear guns, helicopter, you know what I mean? Like he's doing things. This is the way he learned and the way he fought in war. And it's, it's kind of button heads with the way that they, uh, they did him in Vietnam. So it's kind of a cool dynamic. Well, they do, and they do a good job in the movie of very subtly and with very little time referencing that because you had mentioned that you know he's used to things going his way in his town, mm -hmm. and in the first opening of the movie where he kind of walks out to his car, he says hi to like three or four people. They all like say like hey, share like the shit. They establish that like he knows every person in this town. He knows every everything that goes on. 
He's respected. You know, if he says something, you know, if he demands that you get your helicopter up there, it's coming up there. So, and, and with, so without, you know, turning to the camera and, and saying necessarily, they drop all these very subtle clues that don't take more than, you know, 15 seconds of screen time uh, to kind of say like, this guy knows every square inch of this town and everybody is at his beck and call. And, uh, you know, we, Indiana Jones had his snakes and then Rambo, uh, we find out, uh, not a big fan of rats. Yeah. They must've been hungry rats. Cause I don't know. Are rats prone to just kind of attack like that? Or is he just having a kind of a freak out? I, I don't know. I, I did see that they, you know, they originally, they were going to have it, uh, be bats, but that, uh, rats are easier to manipulate and to wrangle than bats. So it was, it was more cost efficient and time efficient to use rats instead of bats. I mean, you're limit, you're eliminating the entire axis of movement with a rat compared to a, to a bat. So I, I could see that. And, uh, you know, they start learning more about John Rambo as this, this manhunt goes on. And that's when we bring in, or he shows up on his own, really Colonel Troutman played by Richard Crenna, who, but uh, Crenna, not the original uh, guy meant for that role either. No, I think that, uh, was it Kirk Douglas? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. I probably mentioned it at one point. I forgot already. Uh, Kirk Douglas was uh, was on set and was ready to film. And I think as the script kind of evolved into what it finally became, he became less and, ha- less and less happy with his character and the way it had been rewritten. Because, you know, in the original, in the novel, and in some of the earlier scripts, Teasel is kind of, he's he's less of a villain, I think. And, and Douglas wanted some rewrites because... He wanted, you know, he wanted to be the hero. You know what I mean? Freaking Spartacus. That would have been, a, would have been a, a somewhat younger Kirk Douglas, wouldn't it, at that point? Uh, 90, probably. I don't know. <laughs> He's always been old. <laughs> yeah, he would have yeah. been definitely younger. I I, I think Creno was perfect in the role, though. I mean, I, Colonel Troutman's one of my favorite, like, action movie characters of them, of them all. Yeah. and He's, he, up, they, he's up there with, like, Chappie Sinclair, like that great military guy. I think they said that he had been on Broadway and he had been acting. Uh, he was a, a homosexual doctor on Broadway for, for some time. And when he came on set and he started reciting his lines, they were kind of effeminate. So Sly had to take him to the side and kind of give him some pointers. And then now we've got like this unbelievable performance. So good job guys. <laughs> what do you got Sly? So yeah, uh, and he he has a great line about uh, the billy goat, which is you know Rambo taught to eat things that would make a billy goat puke. Fantastic, yeah. and it, it's great because it's trout. It's from Troutman that we learn so much about Rambo. Rambo doesn't have that many lines. He doesn't do a lot other than shit you see Bear Grylls do. You know what I mean? He's like he's just kind of there and he's reacting to things. But it's from Teasel. It's from. Troutman that we learn all about John Rambo and all the things he's done, all the things he's seen and, and why what they're doing is wrong. You know what I mean? So I think the character deserves more than we probably even give him. So this all leads up to Rambo kind of getting out of the wilderness and then goes back into town. And that's where we have our big final showdown. And, uh, I believe it's Christmas time. There's something about action movies and Christmas time. I've got that noted here. Why does why is there not a, any kind of huge debate around First Blood like there is Die Hard about whether it's a Christmas movie or not? It's a good question. Maybe because it's more subtle. Like if you, if there weren't for the Christmas lights and there's some, I think there's some some paint on some of the store windows that says like Jolly and it's got pictures of Santa. Yeah. But other than that, they never reference it. Where it's a little bit more referenced in Die Hard, but yeah, definitely it's definitely set around Christmas time. I wonder if it, they, they use the lights and stuff, you know, it just helps with lighting, you know, it gives you a little bit more lighting. Um, Cause you know, you have all these buildings and you don't see the silhouettes at night as much without lights on them. Well, and all the stores are closed, but they all still have their like neon signs and everything on in a small town in a rural small town in the Pacific Northwest. But if you think about it, you're, now we're talking about December in the Pacific Northwest, it's cold Rambo's in a tank top. Now he's even more tough. I mean, you could sit there and talk about, you know, well, when they filmed this scene, it was zero degrees out. And Stallone was in a t- you know, t-shirt, this and that. But like in the film, if they, you know, we see the guys, the, the cops and stuff wearing jackets, but I don't remember ever seeing anybody go, God damn, it's cold. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 
you know, I mean, to me, that's it's an odd choice because the way, way I always assumed was, you know, a lot of a lot of times out there, even if it's warm during the day, once at night it gets really cold. So I assumed, yeah, that's why that you know, because that's why in the day he's fine running around in a tank top, and then right, you know, go out and you know, but apparently it is around Christmas time. So I I, I wonder why they made that choice to to do that. Maybe we can start this movement. Yeah, it's the first blood of Christmas movie. It, at least it'd be something different. Because I, I I'm I'm done as I, I've mentioned on prior episode I'm done with the, the diehard yeah debate. it's it's too much so we get our big final showdown um, Teasel Rambo obviously Troutman gets involved here um, again I don't know if this I mean did this end the way you think thought it was going to end when you first saw it I think for me I just at that point I really didn't know how it was going to end because at a certain point when he's just kind of dealing with the sheriff. And, and his little band of ragtag men, you can kind of see where he can get away. And, you know, they all kind of put their tail between their legs and don't ever want to talk about it because of their pride and he gets away. But then it's just, it takes off and the military gets involved and the national guard. And you're like, all right, they're not just going to let him walk away. So like, how is this thing going to end? So I do remember in that, you know, first time I saw it and probably when I saw it after not seeing it for a long time, thinking like, how in the world, like, how is this going to end? How is he going to get out of this? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I think there's like a, an alternate universe where you could see. So, you know, the national guards involved, the guy comes out with the rocket launcher and uh, he, he freaking, they, they think they kill Rambo cause they, they cave, they knock in that, that, uh, that little mine or that cave or whatever he was in. Of course he escapes, he steals a, a truck. And I think there's an alternate universe where you could see him escaping, not going back into town. And then maybe like coming across Teasel and having like one last kind of, they, you know, he beats the crap out of Teasel and then leaves him bleeding in the, in the snow or, you know, kind of situation. Or even just like lock eyes and Teasel kind of knowing the, you know, his own pride and everybody thinking that he's dead is better off than starting all this over again. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, that's not what you want in an action movie. He probably could have been a little bit more inconspicuous when he escaped instead of just like stealing the first <laughs> military truck that he came across. Right. He probably could have waited for like something a little bit more, you know, under the radar to, to get out of there. But. And I think maybe that that's where, you know, the, the novel in, in the book, you know, Rambo is, uh, is more violent. He kills a lot of guys in the book. He, he's vengeful. Like he wants to kill Teasel and Teasel wants to kill him. I mean, I, I think that that's probably a part of the book that didn't translate as well because you, you kind of have to have that final showdown, right? You got to have your action movie needs to have the two main characters who've been butting heads this whole time kind of have their final blow. Um, but I think it ends the way, the only way that it, it could end where the fans are happy. So it is funny watching it now from like a video game perspective of anyone who plays like battle Royale games or call of duty when he's waiting there and he's trying to see if Dennehy is on the roof and he like is just waiting and he sees that little head pop up and he goes back down and he's like, I got him. Like I, I can sympathize with that from playing video games. <laughs> I think there's someone over there. Is there someone over there? I'm just going to sit here and wait. And then you see that little head pop up. You're like, all right, we got it. Really the big thing here for me is how the Stallone captured lightning in a bottle twice in his career. So, you know, First Blood, John Rambo became just as big, one could argue, as Rocky Balboa. For, for sure. I, I would say maybe the only person that's pulled that off in a similar fashion is Harrison Ford as yeah. Indiana Jones and, and Han Solo, where like you don't really see the two blend. You don't see a ton of – like when you watch Indiana Jones, you don't think, oh, that's just Han Solo. You can actually – they actually are two – completely different people that this actor has been able to like differentiate them from one another. Unlike some actors, when you try to watch Tom Cruise, if you watch him in any of his movies, even as good as they are, it's hard to not see where they all kind of bleed over. And you know, that he doesn't have, it's almost like that's, I don't, I couldn't even tell you some of the characters names are in his movies because I'm watching Tom Cruise, but uh, yeah, he uh, Stallone definitely pulls that off. Well, yeah, I would argue that Rambo is, is, is kind of more important to the genre than, than Rocky because Rocky, it's not like you saw a bunch of boxing movies come out after that. You know what I mean? Whereas right. after Rambo, after first blood, you saw a bunch of uh, Rambo, 
you know, knockoffs come out. So, yeah. And plus, I mean, John Rambo, president Reagan referenced John Rambo. I mean, how many times has that happened in, in the world? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you, you talked about the, the knockoffs and, uh, one of my favorites is an Indonesian film called the intruder where the uh, main character's name is Rambo. <laughs> nice. That was, be- that was before the days of the internet when they really thought that anybody would ever find these things and that the world was that connected. <laughs> and and the, obviously the most, the, the biggest of the knockoffs would be the missing in action series because Menachem Golan was not going to let the uh, Vietnam money not come into the cannon pocket. So he made his right. own Rambo with uh, Chuck Norris and, and those, you know, were great films in, in their own right. Yeah. He was very, very, uh, there was no shame in, in his essentially walking into the office and saying like, we're, we're going to make a Rambo movie. Yeah. This did well. Let's make some of those. And I, I, uh, my favorite, I don't know if he's not really, it's not really a Rambo imitator or a knockoff so much, but it's, it kind of goes into that same world. Uh, is uncommon valor. So that's got the, not just one, it's not just Rambo too. It's like Rambo and all his buddies go back to rescue POWs from Vietnam. So it's a little different. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the thing. Like first blood, it just wasn't just um, direct knockoffs, but it just kind of made the whole Vietnam genre something. I mean, and, and there were obviously Vietnam movies prior to first blood, but when, when one makes money and is successful, then there's more and more. You had also Platoon Leader with uh, Michael Dudikoff. Um, I think even the greatest American hero, uh, William Catt, had a white ghost. I mean, everybody. Uh, Red Brown, I think, did a couple. Tons. Even, I mean, I don't know if you would, would you count Platoon? Would Platoon have been made if, if First Blood didn't do well? Hmm, maybe. I mean, Oliver Stone was a, a Vietnam vet himself, right? Right. So I, guess, I guess that, that film... Um, it delves into a little bit different of a theme. So that one's like a, to me, that's like a war movie. It's not necessarily an action movie. And obviously it has tons of action, but that movie, like that's got some deep shit in it. If you really watch it. And and then of course, Rambo just also just built upon itself. Ryan, you mentioned it, the, the sequels and that's, you saw those first um, Rambo two with the, the red headband, which has become iconic. It's been parodied many times by, I mean, Gizmo of the Gremlins parodied uh, Rambo. So, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, video game series, Metal Gear Solid. The, it, its roots are very much based in like a, um, you know, Rambo and and war vets and Solid Snake having a headband, all that kind of stuff. Deadly Prey, which might be the greatest first blood knockoff of all time, came oh. out a few years later. That. that that's a special one. That have you is... seen that one, Ryan Campbell? I have not. I'll have to put that on my list. Put that on. Yeah, absolutely. It is fantastic. And, and here's something fantastic. The This R-rated franchise spun off a Rambo cartoon and Rambo toys. I love the 80s so much. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. You can get a toy line for anything back then. It's not. I think, I think RoboCop is worse, uh, but... You know, Rambo at least made a little bit of sense just based on the fact that G.I. Joe uh, was so popular at the time, you know. So, oh, you want military toys? Well, we got this super larger than life, real life Rambo, you know, not just these cartoon characters. So made sense, but uh, interesting uh, what they could get away with back then. Yeah. And it it kind of to to just oppose that to how it is now where like they're very reluctant to put R ratings on things because of that. They, they will, they'll keep movies at PG 13 because they plan to make a toy line and want, you know, kids to go see it and all that other stuff. So um, yeah, definitely something that was, that was strictly eighties. And that's why we don't get as many great, awesome action films uh, like first blood nowadays, because yeah, like you said that they, they want more people to see them, which I understand the, economics of it but in reality though i mean with today's standards other than obviously the cursing there's not too much in first blood that i think would even get an r rating nowadays and there's only one death the only guy that dies is the guy who gets not you know accidentally falls out of the helicopter yeah and they have like i guess they kind of have like a close-up shot after the fact but i mean it's not so gruesome that you wouldn't you know 
like I said, the language would, would be the barrier for it, yeah. but I don't think gore wise or there's, you know, there's no boobs or anything like that, that would really give it an R rating today. Yeah. There's hardly any, I don't think there's any women in it. Maybe at the very beginning, which is again, very, very bold move for an eighties action movie. Yeah. And there, there is a deleted scene uh, where Rambo is in Vietnam and he, uh, he's in a bar with some of his, comrades in arms and he ends up going in the back with a little little piece that is working at the place and they uh they have sex and then i believe she gets like blown up like right after or something oh uh so that's like one more notch on his i'm going to be really traumatized after this book that's not even like a deleted scene that's like a deleted subplot yeah well if you may not know this they uh so when the film first came in um it was over three hours long. It was like three and a half hours long. And Stallone was so like scared that he tried to actually buy the film. So they wouldn't release it because it was so bad. So they cut it down to like 90 minutes. Um, so the, somewhere out there, there is a much, much longer first blood. There's, that there's a awful. Snyder cut. There's a hashtag yeah. Snyder cut out there of, Rainbow, of first blood. It, and supposedly it's terrible. I'm surprised it's never surfaced. And I wonder if it was if it was much closer to what we got in the novel, what we got, you know, as far as just like the amount of destruction and killing. Because um, I don't know, it, it to me, it's like it's so well edited now. It's it's so good, and and the pacing is good. It's not too long. Um, it, it really kind of shows you what you can do in an hour and a half with an action film. Again, another thing no one will do today. No one will release an hour and a half long movie. It's got to be two hours and 20 minutes tops. <laughs> yeah. Well, hell, they, they 15 minutes of credits at the end of these movies now. Editing is is a, an art form that doesn't get enough appreciation in movies. And like you said, it's a, it's a tight movie, uh, paced well. Obviously, a, a huge hit of the 1980s and a very influential action movie. Uh, any final thoughts on First Blood? Oh, just, you know, just like, like you said, just a big thank you to the makers that they didn't, uh, you know, can it, didn't get rid of it. Like they kind of gave it their all. And uh, I mean, it, it turned out fantastically. I mean, look how long the franchise is probably still going. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll get sliced alone at like 90 fighting space invaders. I don't know. Let's just fingers <laughs> crossed. Yeah, I did see somebody uh, online had posted a uh, what if uh, we get a Rambo new blood where he teaches some some new youngster the the art of being Rambo. I don't know. Well, that wasn't that supposed to be the last one where he was there was there was word about him being in Canada and there was like a freaking werewolf or something. Um, look it up somewhere. There there was a, a script out there where John Rambo was teaching some young guy. Uh, how to be badass and there's somewhere there's a werewolf killing people so yeah this is like five years ago so thank god it never happened ryan campbell any final first blood thoughts on your end i think for me uh, one like a fun game i always like to play is you know how would they make this movie if they made it today like a reboot or a refresh um and it's interesting because like we were talking earlier i could definitely see them doing something with like the the heightened police state and I mean, I live here in small Cleves, Ohio here, and we have like a SWAT tank for some reason that they only really use in parades and at like events. Like, why does that thing exist? Um, so definitely like the heightened, you know, the the idea of surveillance and militarization of police. Like there's a lot you could do there, but I don't, I don't think you could really cast like an outcast military vet. It'd have to be some other, you know, archetype in it. But um, I'm surprised no one's gone for it. Well, we are going to go for something right now, and that is we're going to talk about our action first. We talked about First Blood, but we're going to talk about some of our early memories of being action fans and uh, some of the you know, monumental moments in our action movie lives. The first R-rated action movie you ever saw. Um, I'll go first. Um, mine was Revenge of the Ninja. Now, I think I'd probably seen some Bruce Lee ones on TV, but... Revenge of the Ninja, I saw like on cable or maybe a rental. I don't remember, but it was uncut. You know, I saw everything I probably shouldn't have been seeing, hearing things I shouldn't have been hearing. But man, I uh, 
fell in love with ninja movies at that moment. It sucked you in, didn't it? I mean, and, and just really the whole martial arts genre. Because, again, I was already watching the Bruce Lee movies, watching the Kung Fu Theater uh, on syndication uh, here locally. And uh, so, yeah, this took it up. This took it to another level. And, and you know, unknowingly was really probably my first canon film, too, that I had seen, which now it sounds ridiculous because i probably watch a canon movie at least once a week <laughs> right and you and now you love that film even more absolutely what about you chad um you know i i never had cable as a kid so we had like the three local channels or whatever on our little dial tv um but uh i i do have vivid memories uh borrowing vhs tapes from my cousin who they were avid uh movie collectors and renters and, and pay-per-view people. So I used to get a lot of wrestling pay-per-views from them that were like 10 years old. Um, but I remember the first film that I remember getting from them that is clearly beyond what age I was, you know, that I should have been watching was a uh, commando with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that would have probably, it was probably later eighties that this happened. You're talking about 88, 89, but you know, I was still probably like five or six. Ryan Campbell. For me, one of the first ones that I remember we actually had the VHS um, was Speed, which is kind of weird, but some of mine are going to be a little different. Um, but yeah, we had the v- this VHS copy of Speed, and I remember watching it and that being kind of one of the first like rated R movies that I'd seen um, to the point to where, I don't know exactly what age I was, but to the point to where I would go around the house and saying, whoosh it. But I thought I was saying like whoosh and then it like like that's what I thought he was saying, not whoa shit. Like when he's saying that when, he, when he's driving the dude's BMW. Um, so I guess I was young enough to not know exactly what that what that meant and just run around the house going whoosh it, whoosh it. Uh, but uh, that's probably one of my earliest like we, you know, we didn't have a ton of like radar movies in the house growing up, but we thought we had a VHS copy of that. Good, good way to start off. I think we all had great starts. That's pretty good. Yeah, you can't beat that. What about the first R-rated movie you saw in the theater? I think I know your answer, Chad, but I'll, I'll let you see uh, see if I'm right. Yeah, the the first one that I can remember seeing that's rated R is uh, Navy Seals, and is that what you were thinking? That uh, yes, that's it. So, I, yeah. I'm correct. I win the prize. So I had a I had a next door neighbor who was let's see I was I was probably seven maybe, and he was in high school, so he was probably sixteen seventeen years old. Uh, yeah, and he was like that real cool guy that ever, you always wanted to hang out with you know I'm, I'm that i'm that young and i'm like looking up to my neighbor who's super cool and he took my brother and i to to the movie theater to see navy seals and i think it's 1990 is what it came out maybe 91 and it was standing room only and i just remember standing in the back of that place and just being in awe because that movie is still badass for me i can tell you which was the first r-rated movie i attempted to see at the theater which would have been Predator. Oh. Uh, me and my friend went up to the uh, theater at the mall and they would not let us in because we were too young. So we saw Spaceballs instead. Um, but then... Also good. <laughs> yes. Uh, but later that summer, so uh, I, I want to say that I saw this one before I actually ended up seeing Predator. And, and what a ridiculous film this was to see. Uh, Robocop. Oh and my it God. was the... The kid across the street, it was his birthday, and I think it was right about the same time RoboCop had just come out, and his mom just took me and him and I think a couple of his cousins, and that's that's what he wanted to do for his birthday, and I tagged along. So yeah, I saw RoboCop, and then I think a few weeks after that, uh, I convinced my dad to to get take me to see Predator, um, and I think we took the kid uh, across the street with me, so kind of paid him back nice. for his RoboCop with my... Uh, with my predator. So yeah, RoboCop. And when I watch that now, I'm like, Oh my, what in the world? People are getting blown, their hands blown off. I mean, bitches leave. I mean, he's the guy in the knees. I mean, I was just looking at him like, wow, what in the world between that? And the, when I listened to the lyrics of the Prince songs that I was listening to back then, I'm like, what was going on with me? It all formed you into the brain that you are today. Right. I guess so. <laughs> Brian Campbell. All right. It was the year is 1998, and we went to see with my parents uh, *Lethal Weapon* four. 
So my dad was, I guess, was a, was a pretty big Mel Gibson fan. I don't even remember if he'd liked the previous ones for whatever reason. They wanted to go see it. I, I don't know. I guess I was still young enough to not just leave it home, but I didn't even terribly want to go see it, but I was, I don't know if we were at the theater and we were like, let's go see this. But, um, that was the first R-rated movie I ever saw in a theater. I don't know that I've ever seen all of Lethal Weapon 4. What do you think of that? It's the one with Chris Rock. And Jet Li. And Jet Li, yeah. It's a, it's a good film. Like it, 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 I think it holds up and it, it, it does justice to the series. It has a very good car chase fight scene in the uh, yeah. mobile home, like with all the plastic and stuff on it. That's a pretty good. And I was a Jet Li fan before Lethal Weapon 4. <laughs> Look at me. But um, I <laughs> remember. Yeah, I know. I remember renting the uh, Once Upon a Time in China films that he was in and just like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. And this was before, you know, like you're. It's like you've been in a bunch of bad relationships and now you're just like, well, I can't, this is going to end poorly, you know, when it, like on day one. So I didn't realize that him coming to America was going to be like the end of his awesome movie career. So I was like excited when he was doing Lethal Weapon 4 and, and whatever he did after that, that I didn't like, but uh, yeah. Right up I mean, to the grave. <laughs> just got, just shivered a bit. What's the, uh, the time one? The one, the one, the one. Yeah. 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 All right, well, let's continue in our Wayback Machine and think about the uh, first R-rated action movies we purchased on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. The one I remember on VHS, pretty sure was Bloodsport. And I had a good amount of Van Damme VHS. I wish I still had them, just just to have them. Yeah, what would you do with them? They'd just sit in a box somewhere? They'd just sit on a shelf, yeah. They'd just be Hmm. display items, but uh, yeah. The only Van Damme one I still, or I have two uh from that time was my no retreat no surrender and i think black eagle and those were just such oddball like pre blood sport ones that i was like oh no these are too rare i can't get rid of these uh dvd wise i'm pretty sure the crow was my first that was a good one i didn't own it but like my friend that that was my like you know i stay at your house you stay at my house four nights a week he had it so i just always watched it with him but that was that was a very formative movie in my coming of age rated r time and then blu-ray obviously this one is a, another van damme was pretty sure it was kickboxer i think i found it for, like in the five dollar bin at at uh walmart and i was like wow this movie's five dollars mm-hmm. i would have paid 15 20 <laughs> for that movie those are my memories so two van dams and a brandon link chad cruz what do you got for us like i said earlier i, I didn't have i didn't have cable or anything so we were avid uh video renters and I remember going to the local store and renting VHS tapes. I don't remember buying many, but we had uh, we had like the dual VCR setups. So we would record, oh, yeah. we'd oh, record yeah. the shit out of movies. And I had a massive collection of VHS. Like, and every one of them had three movies on them. You know, you just get like the six-hour tape and record movie after movie on them. So I had, I had, I mean, I had thousands of, of movies on VHS, but there weren't many that were actually purchased. Uh, sorry. Uh, DVD wise, um, I remember getting Predator pretty early. I, I can't say if it was my first one, but I remember getting it on DVD pretty early. Um, and Blu-ray, I'm I was late to the game on this one as well. Um, I, you know, you, you want to make sure that it's going to last a long time if I'm going to start right. investing in it. Uh, but I do remember one of my, if it, if not my first one, it was one of my first one was uh, Starship Troopers. Nice, Ryan Campbell. Any memories of uh, purchases of the past? So not really with VHS. Um, by the time I had my own money to start buying stuff, we uh, I was on the DVD train at that point. So I never really got a lot of VHSs that were rated R. But I do, my, my, part of my most fondest memory was I bought The Matrix on DVD. Uh, I had never seen it in theaters. I don't know why I bought it on, on I don't know if I just was, believe the hype at that point or just really heard how great it was but we actually didn't I could have see a that. dvd yeah thank, thank you uh we didn't have a dvd player in our house at the time but our computer our pc had a dvd drive so like the only way for me to watch it when i got it for the first time was sitting there in our like kitchenette in front of our e-machines crtv like <laughs> monitor and just sitting there like 
in a chair there in the middle of the, the kitchen watching the matrix on DVD. So that was, uh, one of my, probably like the first like rated R DVD I bought Blu-ray wise. I honestly don't even, I'm not even sure. Um, I know I had starship troopers and that was one of my favorite movies. Like, so that's probably up there too. Um, cause I've always loved that movie. But, uh, when I think of like with my own money, getting a rated R movie like that, the whole matrix thing and sitting there in, in our kitchen at watching it on a CR, you know, awful, awful monitor. Um, it's probably one of the, the fondest memories I have. All right. Well, that was a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, you know, you guys could tweet us or Facebook us what, what your uh, first movies were, if you feel like uh, doing so. And you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Bulletproof Action and on Twitter at Bulletproof Pod. And, uh, of course, you can always go and visit us at uh, BulletproofAction.com. Always something new over there. Yeah, BulletproofAction.com is kind of the uh, the brainchild, if you will. That's 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 where it all began, and it'll never, ever end. It's, it's blowing up during, during – I mean, I, I, there's a lot of negatives about this whole – quarantine pandemic but man the site the site catch like wildfire man <laughs> absolutely i d- definitely want to thank everybody for for checking out the site numbers are are better than they've ever been so a big thank you and uh continue doing so hopefully once things start uh getting back to normal and uh there's more things to do you still at least pop in to bulletproofaction.com every now and again uh to see what we're up to Big stuff coming up in the next few weeks is, uh, for me, Westworld and Clone Wars uh, are in their final you know, two episodes. So it's going to be exciting few weeks of, at the Ryan column. And uh, and then Snowpiercer coming up for you as well. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking about, uh, you kind of mentioned earlier, Chad, about secret sequels. Um, diving into the Snowpiercer as a Willy Wonka sequel uh, theory. Ooh, okay, I'm, I'm going to go... As soon as we're done here, I'm going to look that up, and I can't oh, wait. It's it's a rabbit hole that's worth diving down, trust me. Okay, I'm in. I'm already in. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. As always, Ryan Campbell, Chad Cruz, uh, I think we've uh, I think we've hit the limit. I think we're about out of time. So for Ryan and Chad, I am Chris the Brain. Thank you for listening, and be sure to stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network. 